Our scripture reading this morning is Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 19. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 12. Don't hesitate to take a look at that table of contents to find your way there if you're not familiar with the book. It's an Old Testament book. We read the first three verses and then uh, 10 through 19. So Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 10 through 19. We're going to cover the whole chapter in this study. Daniel Shining in a Dark World is our current teaching series. Kicked it off last weekend. We talked about being different. This weekend we'll talk about be real. Be real. Also grab your sermon notes out. The people of God are in Babylonian exile because of their sin. It is God's loving discipline to bring their hearts back to Him. Now the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, which there's 12 chapters, the first six chapters are teaching us how we can shine in a dark world. We're looking at the life of Daniel and his three friends. They're showing us characteristics in their life and how they're shining in that dark world of Babylon as we can do the same in our world. Because God is our Savior, He always gives us what we need when life is beyond our control. It's certainly beyond the control of Daniel and his three friends, and it's certainly beyond our control in many ways. So he gives us what we need, and we start off by being different, as we talked about last week, and, and this week we'll talk about being real, authentic, how to have an authentic relationship with God. The second six chapters are teaching us why we can shine in a dark world. Because God is sovereign over history, our life is never out of control as he works all things for our good in his Glory. It's very uh, apocalyptic. That's a little apocalyptic. <laughs> Did my sound just drop? Okay. Let's do that again. It's a very apocalyptic. <laughs> you guys paying attention? <laughs> that was the most bizarre thing. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a kind of apocalyptic, it's an apocalyptic kind of book. Third time is a charm. <laughs> Lock the doors. What is going on in here? It is. I mean, it's a, 
It's a crazy book. It's an interesting book. It, it predicts the future. We're going to see that. But it's telling us that because God is in control, things aren't out of control. And we, <laughs> even though things, things seem a little weird at times. And so that's what we're learning from this, this book. And so take a look at your sermon notes here. And we're talking about being real. If we're going to shine in a dark world, we need to learn how to be real. If you will be real with God, this is my challenge to everybody. If you'll be real with God, he'll be real with you, believe me. If you'll be authentic, if you don't play the game that the Pharisees were playing, very religious people, but it tells us in the 15th chapter, 8th verse of Matthew, Jesus said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Don't do that. Don't go there. You got to be real with God. You got to be authentic. If you'll be real with him, he'll be real with you. Jeremiah 29, 13, which by the way, Jeremiah is the prophet who's speaking into the lives of these exiles in Babylon. And he says, if you seek him with all of your heart, you're going to find him. He hasn't abandoned you in exile. He's going to take care of you. He will show himself to you. Math, uh, Hebrews 11.6 says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It tells us in James 4.8, maybe you're familiar with this, draw near to God and he will do what? He'll draw near to you. You want to be close to God? You're only as close to God as you want to be. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Psalm 145.18, God is close to all those who call on him, who call on him in truth, in honesty, in authenticity. Be real with God and he'll be real with you. What does that mean? To be real with God is to have a sincere and pure devotion to God. Sincere means getting away, getting rid of any of the pretense, game playing, mask wearing. Just be real with him. Share your heart with him. Open up to him. Don't just say your prayers. Pray. Connect with the living God. Pour your heart out to him. Be sincere and then pure. Pure means you want him more than anything. And I'm telling you, once you've tasted of his goodness and his greatness, game over. Game over. You want more of him. That's evidence that you've encountered him. That's being real with him. To be real with God is to have a sincere and pure devotion to him which will, listen to me, which will make you a part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. I don't care how difficult it gets in this world. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how depressing it is. You can be a part of a kingdom that cannot be rattled, cannot be shaken. And so this, this helps us with our anxiety and our bitterness and our despair, oftentimes that we're overwhelmed with when we look at the circumstances of our life, when we look at the condition of our country, when we look at the condition of this world. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the point of Daniel. That's the point of Daniel chapter 2. We're going to learn this from the life of, of Daniel. And so what we're doing here, you can see, so Babylon, which represents the world, is a demonic counterfeit kingdom to the kingdom of God. There's a counterfeit for everything God creates. And that counterfeit kingdom is represented by Babylon. It represents the world. We talked about that last week. If you didn't hear that message from last week and you need to go online or go to our website and, and listen to that, it kind of helps to build the case for the message today. And so Babylon, the world is a demonic counterfeit kingdom to the kingdom of God. You might not want to hear this, but this is the reality. This is the truth. There's major spiritual warfare going on for the hearts and lives of people on this planet. Your life is either serving and being shaped by Babylon, the world, this demonic counterfeit kingdom, or it's being, or you are serving and being shaped by the kingdom of God, His Word. There's no neutral zone. By the way, you're born into the kingdom of Babylon. And to get out of that kingdom, you need to be born again. You've got to acknowledge that your sins separate you from God, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and then confess him as your Savior and Lord. And that moves you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Everybody on this planet is either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. There's only two kingdoms. And so what we're going to look at here today, what you're going to see today are how God distinguishes his kingdom from counterfeit ones. And, and you need to know this, the spirit of Babylon is great, but the spirit of God is greater by far, is greater by far. Praise God for that. 
And so you can see we're going to contrast characters and kingdoms. We're going to look at the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, counterfeit kingdom, versus Daniel and the real kingdom. And then we're going to ask the, the last question you'll see on your notes. How can I live in the reality of this unshakable, this real kingdom? No matter how dark it gets, how difficult it gets, it doesn't matter. You can be a part of this unshakable kingdom so that we can shine in, we can shine in this dark world. But before we do that, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help on this study as we unpack these notes and study this text. Father God, we are grateful that because you're our Savior, you always give us what we need when life is beyond our control. And because you are sovereign over history, life is never out of control as you work all things for our good and your glory. We lay aside all pretense, and we want to draw near to you through the study of your word so that you will draw near to us, transforming our lives, healing our hearts, and satisfying our souls so that we can shine in this dark world in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. So contrasting characters in kingdoms. First of all, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the counterfeit kingdom. It's found in verses 1 through 13. Keep your Bibles open. You can follow along. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, by the way, have you ever had one of those nights where you have a crazy dream, and then you're up pacing the floor after that? That's King Nebuchadnezzar. He has this horrible dream, it shakes him, it rattles him to the core of his being, and it says his sleep left him. <laughs> so he can't go back to sleep. And then the king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and as the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Now let me just stop there just for a minute. Let me tell you something about dreams and visions. God can speak to you through dreams and visions. There's a biblical basis for that. This story is a biblical basis for that. He speaks to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. He's trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. So he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream, and Daniel will interpret this dream through a vision. Now, visions are images or ideas that come to us while we are awake. Dreams or images or ideas that come to us while we are asleep. Now, there's three sources of these visions and dreams. God is one of those sources, Satan is another source, and too much pizza the night before <laughs> is the third source. So they can come from us. So we can just, you know, have a, you know, eat too much or whatever, and we, we toss and turn all night. We have some crazy dreams. So you've got to discern the difference between, is this God, are you speaking to me, or is this Satan, or is this, like, I had too much to eat the night before? What's going on? Is this coming from me? Now, I've heard story after story of people who have encountered Christ through dreams. In fact, there's a multiple stories out there and testimonies of Muslims who have come to faith by encountering Jesus in a dream. So you think, what about people who never heard of Jesus? How about Jesus showing up in a dream? He can do that. He's doing that to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's trying to get his attention. Of course, Daniel's going to come along and interpret the dream for him and point him in the right direction. It tells us in Acts chapter 2, and these are the days we're living in. This is what it's saying. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's the day we live in right now. And sons and daughters shall prophesy. They will proclaim the gospel. They will proclaim my word. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Of course, all of that always needs to be filtered through the Word of God, our ultimate authority. But He's still speaking to us through dreams and visions. Now, I'll talk more about that as we work through the text. Now, look at verse 4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants to dream, and we will show the interpretation. So, he hasn't told him the dream yet. He's saying, okay, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. You hear what he's saying? I'm going to dismember you and burn your houses to the ground. Well, that's nice. That's not a very good work review. Like, if I don't do what you told me to do, 
You're going to dismember me and burn my house to the ground. By the way, this guy, if you'll notice, he is a narcissistic, manipulative psychopath, okay? I, I know a few like that. And there's a spectrum. Let me just see if there's any in here that would fit that. Oh, no. Okay, I think we're, we're, we're okay. But, but we can all kind of fit into that category a bit. But, I mean, this guy is crazy. By, by the way, if you're a business owner, this is not a good way to treat your employees, okay? I will dismember you and uh, burn your houses down if you don't do what I tell you to do. By the way, that's, that's the epitome of manipulation. By the way, he's going to reward them. If you do what I tell you to do, I will reward you. If you don't, I'm going to abuse you. I'm going to destroy you. There are people like that, by the way. There are people like that. And so, look at verse 6. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered the second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. You're killing time. <laughs> You're trying to buy time here. Because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. He had inherited these advisors from his father. It's obvious he does not trust them. And so there's a tendency to, I mean, you can find people that will tell you what you want to know and hear today. And so these guys, he didn't want these guys kissing up to him. He wanted the truth. He doesn't trust them. Therefore, tell me the dream. And I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Now, let's move ahead to the dream. Let me just explain the dream to you so that you can see why this guy is pretty stressed out, and he should be pretty stressed out. So here's what the dream is. In verse 19, God reveals the dream to Daniel. In verses 31 through 45, Daniel reveals the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. So here's the dream. And you can read this on your own as you're working through the growing notes this next week. Pretty profound dream. The king saw a huge statue that represents the present, the Babylonian kingdom, and then the future world-governing empires. Now, what's so profound about this is the accuracy of Daniel and the interpretation of this dream. I mean, Daniel nails it, which gives us the fact and the proof and the validity and the veracity that our Bible is a God book because God is batting a thousand when it comes to predictions about the future and about prophecy. That's why many people look at the book of Daniel and go, oh my goodness, how did he know this? Well, it's because God spoke to his heart and and, and, and so you see, he defines all the world governing empires up until the very last one through this interpretation. So, so once again, giving validity to the fact that this is a God book. So if you go, come to the DB Life class, I go through a number of reasons why we know that this is God's word. And one of it is because it's prophetically powerful. Predictions about the future, God's batting, batting a thousand. And so, as, he's, as he interprets this, the statue had a gold head that represents the Babylonian kingdom. Silver, there was a silver chest and arms, which is the Medo-Persian. That was the next kingdom that would take over the Babylonians. Two big countries joining together, Medo-Persian. And then the bronze, belly and thighs, is the Greece, the Grecian uh, empire led by, if you've done any history, Alexander the Great. And then you've got the iron legs, which are a little bit lengthier, lasted a little bit longer. It's the Roman Empire. That's the empire in which Jesus came for his first coming during the Roman Empire of the world. So that's all future, obviously, from the Babylonian Empire. And then the feet that are, are a, a combination of iron and clay, which I believe and many believe that the ten toes represent a confederation of ten nations through which the Antichrist will rise up and deceive the world. That's what we're now still awaiting, is one more world-governing empire. 
So when you see this consolidation of nations coming together and then there's one person that begins to rise up among them and seems to have all the answers, beware. We'll talk more about this through this series. That's the Antichrist. He's leading people right straight to hell. The Bible warns us of this, this person and all of this. So quite quite interesting. Now, what's interesting about this statue is that the material of each world governing empire seems to be getting weaker. So this is a message from God. All the efforts of mankind through all of his kingdoms will never, ever, ever be able to solve the problem of sin and suffering on their own. It will only get weaker through time. Each of the materials is getting weaker. I mean, I mean, look at the problems we have in America. America's a great country in many, many ways, and yet we're a mess. We can't solve our own problems. Our problems just continue to unravel, and it's a mess. That's part of this prophecy. And so there's no kingdom other than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so the dream of Nebuchadnezzar parallels Daniel's vision of the four beasts in chapter 7. When we get to chapter 7, we'll see a parallel. Now, in verses 34 through 35 and 44 through 45, part of this of what he saw, and this is what really upsets King Nebuchadnezzar, a massive rock is cut out from a mountain, not by human hands, by supernatural means. And we all know who the rock is. The rock is Christ. He's, he's the one who the builders rejected, the, the cornerstone. He's the stone the builders rejected. He's the cornerstone. I'll talk more about that as we work through this teaching. But, but this rock is, is not cut out by human hands, supernatural means. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits so that the whole statue collapses. And it's like a chaff that's blown in the wind, just decimated. It represents God's unshakable kingdom through Christ that will become a great mountain. Literally, it says, great mountain, fill the whole earth, destroying all counterfeit kingdoms and establishing his kingdom on earth forever and ever. Many believe that's the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back, the second coming. And he will obliterate all kingdoms. First coming, he came to bear our judgment. Second coming, he will bring judgment. The Bible's very clear about that. And so, this dream, the dream Nebuchadnezzar had is a, is a vision he wanted the world to, to have of him. And as you read through this and you look at this dream, that he is, he wanted people to know that he is an indestructible giant towering over the world, but the weakness of the statue's feet of clay expressed his deepest fears and vulnerability. And so the dream provides insight into the king's conflicted inner world that helps you understand his total breakdown later in chapter 4. I mean, he, he has a nervous breakdown. He is rattled to the core of his being. And in fact, in Daniel 3, next week when we get together, he's so defiant about this dream that he builds this golden statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide in defiance of this dream. Like, nobody's going to take me out of my kingdom. I'm going to rule. And yet, chapter after that, he has a nervous breakdown. He's taken down. God comes after him. Now, here's some thoughts as it relates to this, this kingdom, this counterfeit kingdom, this, this kingdom that is, is shaken and, and King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's your first uh, fill in the blank on your notes. When we build our lives on earthly success, relationships or circumstances, we experience a great deal of insecurity. Much of it is unconscious. Why is that? Because any joy or delight in earthly things has feet of clay. That's the imagery of this statue. Any career, relationship, bank account, circumstance is vulnerable. The only reason why we might not feel vulnerable is because we have lived a pretty charmed life. But eventually, the instability and fragility of life will come home to us. And here's the bottom line. Either God is our security or we truly have none. You know why we, we experience insecurity in our life? It's because we built our confidence on insecure things rather than on God. That's why I said we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken regardless of what goes down. 
Here's number two on your notes. God often shows us our need for him by giving us a glimpse of what is really in our hearts. This is what he's doing to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he does for us. We're often in denial about how angry, fearful, and selfish we, we really are. Then a situation brings out the worst in us, and we are shocked that we are capable of such overwhelming thoughts and actions. It's like whatever we built our life on, that's shaken. It shakes us. We're rattled to the core of our being. But these are only when we're rattled, when we're shaken, when we're stressed out, when we're angry, when we're bitter, when we're in despair. These are only warning signs from God, not to punish us, but to awaken us. To awaken us, not to shame us, but to draw us to him and to set us free and to so that we can find our satisfaction in him and build our lives on him. <clears throat> when we build our love, security, and significance on anything other than God, we crush it under the weight of our unrealistic expectations. I did that for many years with my marriage. I tried to get from my wife what I should have been getting from God. I've done that with my kids. I tried, to, I, I tried to get from them what I should be getting from God. I've done it with jobs before. And I make that my security, my strength, my identity. <clears throat> now look at verses uh, 10 through 13. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. These are all of his advisors. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not a flesh. This is interesting that he says, except for the gods. He's actually speaking, actually, they don't realize it, but this one, they're speaking of the one and true living God. Only God knows the mysteries of life. Only he can answer our questions, our deep questions. And in fact, whose dwelling is not a flesh, guess what? Our God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son who came with grace and truth. Amazing. That's John chapter 1. So this guy, whoever's saying this doesn't realize what they're saying, but ultimately it's pointing to Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious very furious. Am I, does this thing keep going out or is that me? It is going out. It does that every once in a while. I'll put it out here on my outside so it'll stop doing that. It's a bit annoying. (laughs) We good back there? Nobody's back there. That's why. Hey, push me just a tab if you would, please. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Here's what I think we can learn from this. The wisest people in the universe cannot solve the human dilemma of man's uh, sin and suffering. Only the gospel can do that. You can go ahead and turn me back down just a tad, if you would, please. I feel a little bit of a ring back on that, if you would. I don't want to boss you around back there, but I did notice it was kind of ringing back a little bit there. This is quite an interesting service here. So the wisest people in the universe cannot solve the human dilemma of man's sin and suffering. Only the gospel can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, bring healing, health, and wholeness to individuals, to families, to communities, to this world. It's only the gospel, only the gospel. Here's your next point on your notes. Number three, the greatest success or kingdom will never be enough and will eventually come to an end. That's the whole point of this, this statue, this dream. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who had found ultimate human power with the kingdom 
that was seemingly unconquerable, and yet he was deeply insecure. By the way, you do any studies on the Babylonian kingdom? It was the most powerful kingdom on the planet. It's been the most powerful kingdom on the planet. There's nothing even came close to that. There was no reason for him to feel insecure. When, when you look at even where he lived and the, and the city in which he lived in, it was unconquerable. And yet this guy's rattled to the core of his being because now for the first time he's in touch with reality. It was just a big illusion that somehow he's unconquerable. And, and so it is not getting to the top that will give you peace and security. Another kind of wealth, another kind of might is necessary. That's where we now see the contrast of Daniel. I'm telling you, Daniel is cool, calm, and collected because he's part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Look at Daniel, the real kingdom, verses 14 through 30. So King Nebuchadnezzar is insecure. He's got this internal restlessness. He's got this extreme irritability with the wise men because he's built his life on a, on a kingdom that can be shaken. He realizes that. Daniel shows us what conflict resolution or crisis management looks like when you are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's going to give us some unbelievable characteristics. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence, Hebrew word is reason, and discretion. Hebrew word is taste, flavor, and being very pleasant to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, which includes him and his three friends. So how would you have responded? This Arioch shows up and he's gonna kill all of the wise men and you're part of that list, the hit list. How would you respond? I know what I would do, fight or flight. You're gonna have to catch me. I'm out of here. Or I would grab the guy by the shirt collar and go, what do you mean you've come to kill me? I haven't done anything wrong. And call the three guys in and take him out. That's probably what I would have done. Yeah, that's what I've done. I mean, when I think about this, and yet Daniel, he responds with what? Prudence, reason, discretion, taste, flavor, pleasant. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Look at verse 15. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, verse 16, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is, <laughs> as I was reading through this, I go, oh my goodness. I want to be like Daniel right here because he knows that he's a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm telling you, when you spend time in the throne room of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the galaxies, the creator and sustainer of the, he of the heavens and the earth, not much bothers you, okay? And you're gonna see it with him. First, first word is calmness. This is the real kingdom. There's calmness, verses 13 through 14. Calmness. And, and I mean, because you can't be rattled. I know who's in control ultimately. I know King Nebuchadnezzar, you think that you're the ruler? Actually, there's a ruler over you. <laughs> he's, he's a much greater king than you, and I've just spent time with him, and so I know that. So I'm not rattled by you. I'm not intimidated by you. I'm not bothered by you. So there's a calmness. By the way, you're not gonna be able to have the second one if you don't have the first one. If you, if you got fight and flight kicking in, this is not a time for fight and flight. Sometimes fight and flight is helpful. This is not a time for fight and flight. Conflict resolution and, and, and when you're trying to resolve, you know, crisis management, fight or flight will put you in turmoil. You need to have calmness so that you can have clarity. That's number two, clarity. By the way, you need to change that verse to verse 14 should be verse 14 instead of 15, he, because he, he responds with prudence. That's reason. How many have ever noticed that, that when you get rattled, you have no clarity? It goes right out the window. Would you guys agree with that? Somebody pushes your button, and you're uptight, and you're ready to fight. Ah, you lose all reason. I was a medic for a number of years. You can't go into fight and flight when you go on a call with a lot of blood and guts. You gotta stay calm, you have to have clarity to be able to navigate that, you gotta be able to work through that. That's, that's Daniel. He's got clarity, he's got prudence, reason, and then he's got compassion. Change that verse 15 to verse 14, sorry. So you got dis 
discretion in verse 14, taste, flavor. He's pleasant. There's almost this compassion. He's kind to him. He's responding in a compassionate way. In verse 24, we know that Daniel makes an appeal not just for himself to be saved, but also for the wise men of Babylon. So he's not just trying to save his neck. He cares about all the wise men. So he's got compassion, and so you got calmness, clarity, compassion, and then you got curiosity. Change verse 16 to verse 15. That'll be the last one, okay. That's verse 15. Notice what he says in verse 15. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? By the way, we fail to seek to understand, and, and so we want to be understood before we really understand the situation, then we're not able to respond to the situation. We don't have all the facts. That's why curiosity is really important. That we, that we go, now help me understand why you have come to dismember me and burn my house down? He's trying to, that, I mean, that, in essence, that's what he's saying. So why is this guy on the warpath? What is happening? Give me some more details. I want to make sure I'm responding to this appropriately. See, that's really wise. So you got calmness, clarity, compassion, curiosity. Hmm, am I responding to this appropriately? Give me some more details. Help me to understand this. And then you've got courage, number five. Look at verse 16a. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint a time. He's like, I'm going to bypass this guy. I'm going to go straight to the king. Can I, can I come and see the king? By the way, this king is the narcissistic manipulative psychopath, okay? And uh, remember, this is the guy who's going to dismember and burn their houses, all of his wise men, all their houses down, including Daniel and his three friends. So that takes a lot of courage. But Daniel doesn't seem to be bothered by this guy. And then the next one would be confidence. Look at verse 16b. That he might show the interpretation to the king. So, so I want to schedule an appointment with the king before he dismembers me through you and burns my house down. And oh, I want to give him the interpretation, which by the way, I haven't received the interpretation yet. Did you notice that? He hasn't received the interpretation. It's like, what is that? That's called faith. That's faith. Faith is not a denial of reality, but it's a declaration that God's bigger than the reality. That, yeah, I don't have the interpretation yet, but I serve a big God, and I'll probably get the interpretation. In fact, chapter 1, it says that God had given them the giftings of dreams and visions and interpretations and being able to, to do all of that. And so he, he knew, hey, I, he hadn't given it to me yet, but he will. I know. I know my God, and I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm going to be able to navigate this. That's, that's incredible courage. And then you got, so you got calmness, clarity, compassion, curiosity, courage, confidence, and then you got creativity. You need creativity when it comes to relationships. Every relationship is unique and requires a creative approach and solution. When you go back to Daniel chapter one, Daniel's interpretation, or interaction that is, Daniel's interaction with the chief of the eunuchs who is requiring them to eat the king's food is really quite brilliant. He just says, hey, I, I know the king's gonna have your head if we don't get better physically, but hey, would you do this? Just test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink and see what happens. So that's very creative. He's just like, ah, he's trying to interact with them. Very kind and very calm about it. In this situation, Daniel cuts to the chase, bypasses the captain of the king's guard, goes straight to the king. Verse 27, when he's interacting with the king, he basically says, hey, no wise man can answer the king's mystery, but there is a God in heaven who can. So he's very creative as he's navigating this, and this is the last of these C words, connectedness. He has ability to connect. Daniel de-escalates the situation with the chief of the eunuchs, Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, and with the captain of the king's guard, verses 24 through 25, and with the king in verses 27 through 28 and 47. Pretty amazing. Okay, okay, let's fess up. <laughs> I could use some help there, okay? When it comes to conflict resolution and crisis management, how many here, show of hands, could use some help in that compartment, department, whatever? Yeah, we could all use help. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we have that kind of character? Well, here's the next question on the notes, kind of the next thought. How can I live in the reality of this unshakable real kingdom, this unshakable kingdom? How do I do that? Daniel shows us right here. It's powerful, pretty amazing. And here it is. So this is what it means to be real with God, and he'll be real with you. Number one, remember your calling. 
Remember your calling. What I mean by that, remember your identity. Now, if you don't know Christ and and you're in the other kingdom, which in other words, you're in the other kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of this world, the way you get out of that is by being born again. You've got to acknowledge your sin. I talked about that. You've got to acknowledge your sin, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, confess him as Savior and Lord, give your life to him through prayer, by faith. And Jesus Christ, you can do that this morning if you've never done that before. And so then that gives you a whole new identity, and then you can begin to draw upon that. You remember your calling. Now, in verse 16, after Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king, verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Those are his Hebrew names, all their Hebrew names, and we know them from their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But you'll notice Daniel refers to his friends by their real names, not their Babylonian names. And you really kind of see that throughout the book. These guys never embraced their Babylonian names. By the way, that was the way to try to assimilate them into the culture. They they, they let them call them by those names, but they never took that as their identity. These guys never embraced their Babylonian names because they know who they are. They know who they are. It doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about you. You get your identity from the only one in the universe that matters. So, I know the Babylonian way, the world way, is that you get your identity from what you do. You are what you do. It's based on your performance. You are what you have. It's based on your possessions. You are what people say about you. It's based on your popularity. That's not how the Bible works. That's, these guys aren't getting their identity that way. In fact, look at their names. I put them on your notes last weekend, but Daniel means God is my judge. King Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're the judge of the universe? You're not. You're a small judge, very small judge compared to the big judge, God. I live for an audience of one, basically is what that means. I live for an audience of one. Hananiah, God is gracious. I have his unmerited favor. I have the favor of God, the God of the galaxies. Mishael, there is none like God. That's what his name means. He has no imperfections or rivals. There's no one that even comes close to this God. And then Azariah, God has helped me. With his help, I can face anything. If you just took those names of each of these four characters in the book of Daniel, those are our identities. That would be enough. We could end the service right now. That would be enough for you to be unshakable if you actually believe those and live those out. But there's more. Sounds like I'm selling you something, doesn't it? There is much more than that. Yeah, remember your calling, but also seek the help of your community. That's where he turned to. He turned to his three friends. You'll never be able to pull this off apart from solid community of godly friends. As you guys have heard, you hear it over and over again, Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become codependent. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That was, that was a bad joke. No, we become family. We got to be more connected than, than just what we see here on weekend services. Got to go much deeper. And in fact, life change happens best in small groups. That's one of our values here. We call them life groups here. We got a lot of life groups. Had about 50, 60 leaders that were meeting in the first service, had breakfast. How many were in that first uh, meet, that meeting with our leaders? Any leaders in the house here? Okay, there's a number of you here. Okay, the rest of the leaders cut out on us. They didn't come to this service. What's up, what's up with that? Oh, they're, they're probably gonna listen online later. Maybe some of them were here last night. Okay. So anyway, we have, we have a lot of leaders. We have a lot of small groups. We have a lot of great small groups. You need to get plugged in. Now, what do I, how do I know if I've got a, a healthy small group? How do I know that I've got some real healthy people around me? I like what Dr. Henry Cloud said. Safe people do three things. This is not on your notes, but you, you could write it down if you want. Safe people do three things. This isn't how you know you've got safe people in your life. They bring, number one, they bring us closer to God. So when you're hanging out with your small group, if they're not helping you to get closer to God, maybe you need to find a new small group. They bring us closer to God. Number two, they bring us closer to others. They're not divisive. They're all about love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Number three, they bring us closer to who we really, who we were truly made to be. So they bring us closer to God, closer to others, and closer to who we were truly made to be. So remember your calling. Seek the help of your community. Here's your third one. Connect with God in prayer. Look at verse 18. 
And he told them, his three friends, to seek mercy from God and of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel and his friends turned to God in prayer. They turned to God in prayer. This is the first time we see Daniel at prayer or in prayer, but it won't be the last. One of the main lessons of the book of Daniel is this very lesson, the importance and centrality of prayer for a faithful life in a pagan environment. We will be told in Daniel uh, chapter 6, verse 10, that Daniel faithfully prayed. How many times a day? Anybody? Three times a day. And this wasn't something he just started doing before crisis hit. He was doing this. This was a pattern of his life. He had, he had this discipline of prayer. Daniel 9 contains a long version of one of the great prayers of the Bible. So Daniel was a man of prayer. Now let me ask you this question. Would anyone be able to truthfully characterize you as a person of prayer? Maybe people don't see you praying. Maybe you pray a lot, you know, in your closet, away from people. Would God characterize you as a person that connects with Him? You have an authentic relationship with Him, that you know Him, you walk with Him, you interact with Him throughout the day. You're a person of prayer. Now, this may sound a little harsh. Bear with me just a moment. I, I hope that you get this point. It is too late. It is too late once a crisis has broken, once a crisis has broken to suddenly rush into prayer. It's too late. Of course, it helps. But you don't have the benefits of a strong character and deep skills of resting in God that a prayerful person has. You haven't developed the spiritual arsenal, the equity that you need. I'm not against it. I see people do it all the time. They put God on the shelf. They kind of do their own what thing. All hell breaks loose in their life. They run to God. Yes, I would say run to God, but you're not going to have the character and the intimacy that you could have had if you had been developing that over the long haul and therefore you will not have the equity to drop on. We talk about it financially. You need to have some equity. You need to put some money in the bank, at least three months, six months, a year's resources. When bad things happen, you've got some equity to drop on. Man, if you're not spending time with him, if you're not praying, if you don't have the pattern, habit of prayer, the discipline of prayer, yeah, you need to run to him. There's no doubt about it, but you're not gonna have the character and the skills that will help you to navigate that like you could or should. You guys tracking with me? You understand that? There's something about intimacy with him when you cultivate that. There's nothing absolutely better. It gives you some equity in your life. That's why I read my Bible, I pray. I spend time with him. Not only is it a delight of my life and it's unbelievably satisfying, but I know hard times are coming. I want to have the arsenal built and ready to go. I don't want the enemy taking me down. And, and, and so I, I want that equity. Besides being a, a man of prayer in a general way, Daniel was also a man with a spirit of worship and adoration. And his prayer of praise in verses 20 through 23 shows that Daniel did not merely make requests to the Lord. He sought intimacy. He sought fellowship with God and the experience of God's presence. And listen to me, you guys know this because I say it a lot. You guys know this, that intimacy with God, his presence is better than anything else in this world. Did you hear me? Did you hear me say that? I'm not saying it very loud, so maybe they can't hear me if they're listening online. I'm telling you, his presence, intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. So it was more than just bringing his list to God. That's petition. He brought his love to God. That's adoration. He had this adoring relationship with, with God. You see this in verses 20 through 23. It's not petition, but adoration that makes a person into the great-hearted, courageous person Daniel shows himself to be before the king. Daniel has a high view of God, and it's cultivated through his prayer life and his times of adoration with God. He knew that God is greater than all of his highs and lows. That's why he was able to go to the king. 
and stand before him, unintimidated. Even this Arioch that comes to kill him, he's like, this is nothing. I was just in the throne room with the king of the universe. <laughs> he's almost laughable. He's like, you think you're something? You're nothing compared to him. I mean, so when you understand that, you have this high view of God. Let, let me read this for you. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Do you hear what he's saying? King Nebuchadnezzar, you're not really in charge. You might think you're in charge just for a season, a little bit, maybe, kind of. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all, dude. No, I, I, I know the one who is in charge. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter." Anxiety, bitterness, despair happens when the superficiality of our view of God meets the realities of this world. We need a high view of God. Prayer, Bible study, times of adoration help to create that high view of God that we desperately need. Here's the next one. Expect supernatural confirmation. So remember your calling. Seek the help from your community, help of your community. Connect uh, with God in prayer, expect supernatural confirmation. That's what this whole story is about. So people came, people come to Christ. This is what you need to know. I'm going to add verse 45 a little bit later on. We'll talk about verse 45. The people come to Christ either through persuasion or power. When I've watched people who come to Christ, they usually come to Christ through persuasion and power. People who have objections to the faith need persuasion. They need evidence. I needed that a number of years ago as I was working through my high school years. That's left brain. It's very rational. But people who need their problems solved need the power of God manifested in their life. They may need to have a dream. They need to get healed, encounter the self-authenticating glory of God. My wife needed that. She encountered the self authenticating glory of God through the gospel being proclaimed to her. And she goes, I'm in. I want to know him. I'm going to live my life for him. That's very right brain. It's very relational. Now, beware of the theology of cessationism. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Cessationism, people who teach that the supernatural work of God no longer exists. Spiritual gifts are not for today. I believe that is a false teaching. There are a lot of mainline churches that believe this. It's wrong. God is still active today as much as he was in Daniel's day, in the first century in the book of Acts, as he is today. He is active today. And uh, if you don't think so, come and hang out with me, man. I'm seeing God work in people's lives. I've seen this for over 31 years here at Desert Breeze. God is working amazingly. I've got a front row seat. Now, if you want a book on this, this topic, Jack Deere, who was a cessationist who taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, wrote a book a number of years ago, Why I Am Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Pick that book up and read it. It's a great book. Jack Deere. And then there's another book about miracles today. A lot of people say, oh, there's no miracles today. <laughs> yeah, there are. There's all kinds of miracles happening. There's a guy that has accumulated these miracles. This is just a small volume. He's got like three other volumes. The guy's name is Craig S. Keener. It's called Miracles Today, The Supernatural Work of God in the Modern World. So listen to me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Believe me. Believe me. Hebrews 13, 8. And so, I believe in the supernatural, I believe in healing, I believe God answers prayer, I believe God can reveal Himself to us through dreams at night and visions at day, read Acts 2, that's part of our times, and of course, this must be filtered through the Word of God. God speaks, God heals, God acts, God lives, God delivers. By the way, Desert Breeze is the result of dreams and visions God has given to me and others. This is the product of, of, of dreams and visions that God gave to us. 
We're seeing the manifestation of that. It's absolutely amazing. We don't follow signs and wonders, but as we follow Christ, signs and wonders will follow us, believe me. So here's that. Expect supernatural confirmation. Give all credit to God. Verse 28 to 30, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream and the visions of your, in your head, of your head, as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thought of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. And as for me, notice what he said, notice how humble uh, Daniel is very in touch with reality. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than any, than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Jump to verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from, the, from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, and silver, and gold, all these kingdoms basically, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. It says in Psalm 118, 22, Matthew 21, 42, 1 Peter 2, 2, 7, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. The unshakable kingdom. So let me ask you this. Who's the hero of Daniel's story? Is it Daniel. No, Jesus. Now, I hear, I've heard a lot of testimonies. I've even heard the testimonies by popular speakers out there. And at the end of the testimony, I always ask this question, well, who's the hero of the story? And I've heard some say the story in such a way that they were the hero of the story. Like, do what I did and you can be as successful as I am. No, you're not the hero of the story. Jesus is always, he's always. So when you give your testimony, Jesus should be the hero of your story. I told a guy just this last week, uh, I just said, I, I, he, I mean, he understands who I am, but I just said, I would be wrecked. I'd be a mess if I didn't have Jesus. And I think he kind of looked at me like, well, you are a mess. And, uh, and I said, well, I'd be a bigger mess, but he didn't look at me like that. But I was just like, man, I, I would be. Man, he's the hero of my story. He always has been. I mean, he's, a hero, he's always been the hero of my story. I love him dearly. I just absolutely love him. I don't know what I would do without him if I didn't have him in my life. He hadn't rescued me, redeemed me, continued to walk with me each and every day. I love him. I need him. See, Daniel, he gives glory to God. And what's interesting about this, you'll, you'll never see Daniel take any credit for anything. He's just like, hey, listen, king, there's a God in heaven, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm nothing, but he's everything. Look to him. That's our testimony. I'm telling you, if you listen to a ministry that they're pointing to themselves and how great they are and how great that church is or anything like that, you better run. You need to go to a place where they're pointing to Jesus. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's the hero of the story. He always has been, always will be, always will be. He's the hero of our stories. We are desperate for him. That's what this statue was representing, where this rock's coming and it's going to crush everything and bring it all down. Only he only King Jesus and his kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. And that's what we are part of. Use your clout, your position, your power, your money for God's glory. Verses 46 to 49, Daniel is promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he in turn promotes his three friends so that they can have influence on that Babylonian world. So let me end by giving you this quote. It's at the end of your notes, Hebrews 12, 28. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Hebrews 12, 28. Next weekend, be courageous. Daniel chapter 3, the fiery furnace. Oh my goodness, these guys are going to demonstrate faith unlike most people have ever seen or experienced. That's where we're headed. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got any questions, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. 
Also got the baptism class going on up here to my left and your right. Let's pray. Father God, through the indispensable and costly love of our Savior Jesus on the cross, we give you our sincere and pure devotion. We are grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In times of conflict and crisis, produce in us these characteristics. We saw in Daniel calmness and clarity, compassion, curiosity, courage, confidence, creativity, and connectedness. May we live in the reality of this kingdom by practicing the disciplines of remembering our calling, seeking the help of our community, connecting with you in prayer, expecting supernatural confirmation, giving all credit to you as we use all that you have given to us for your glory. Help us to shine more and more in this dark world for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. Love you guys.